0: In three, two, one. Manuel, you really got to go for it next time. You just got to give give it your best clap. I would right. say I did. Oh, you did. Okay, then your then your noise canceling really cut it out. It oh
1: yeah, good. I forgot. The noise oh. canceling will do that for us.
0: Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. We are recording this on Friday, July 15th, 2020. I hope anybody listening who either participated in or benefited from Prime Day uh, survived the last couple of weeks because uh, it's been a slog. And I also want to say uh, sorry for taking a week off. We needed some R&R last week, but this week you get two podcasts in your feed, so we're making it up to you. This podcast is going to be accompanied by a special episode of recorded earlier in the week with AP's Ryan Hager, as well as Esper's Michelle Rahman, and AP podcast producer Jules Wang, all about awesome and uh, the pivot that the privacy-focused phone made to crypto and what the hell happened there. So I'd really encourage you to listen to that right after this, if you haven't already. All right. Joining us today is AP's European editor and senior editor extraordinaire, Manuel Fonau, all the way from Berlin. How are you doing?
2: Hey, uh, great to be on the show. Thanks for introducing me, Daniel.
0: As always, Will Saddleberg, R Wagner. How are you guys doing? I'm, I'm
1: tired. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're Will's good and you're tired. That's that's our that's our usual intro.
1: Hey, it's <laughs> it, it's been a week.
0: It has. I know been. you're you,
1: tired too.
0: <laughs> I am very tired. I'm making up for I'm also it. lying. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, this week was a was a lot of planning. Just going to address the elephant in the room here. If you've been on AP over the last few days, you've seen a lot of deal content. I hope you benefited a little bit from it. If you didn't, I'm sorry for the spam. It's over now, though. And we would love to hear if you did get anything on Prime Day, what you got. Send us an email, podcast at androidplace.com. We're going to jump right in because Manuel, you have written one of my favorite reviews of the last few months, if not the last year on AP, is our Nothing Phone 1 review. Now, we've talked about this phone a lot. We've talked about how Carl Pei, former co-founder and CMO of OnePlus, now founder and CEO of nothing. He's just a marketing machine. He's a really good hype artist. He does a lot for the kind of old school way of bringing attention to a product and a brand. But now the phone is out. We're free to talk about it. So give us your impression of what we were thinking was the most exciting phone of 2022 so far but turns out it's it's a little bit more complicated than that
2: yes of course i mean it's always like that because especially when you have a product that is just hyped as much as the nothing phone there's like a big chance that it's not going to live up to the expectations and honestly i was prepared to see that come in that the nothing phone was really different from what we all and what Calpe was wanting it to be. But in the end, it's, as you say, it's, um, it's very ambivalent. Um, it's like- It's ambivalent said, or I'm, you're ambivalent? I think the phone itself is ambivalent, which makes me ambivalent about it too.
0: Amazing.
2: <laughs> when you like just take it into your hands and look at it, you wouldn't think it's a 400 pound device. From a build quality perspective, it looks like really comparable with the iPhone. And that makes sense because it's obviously inspired by the iPhone quite a bit. But then once you turn it on and you start using it some more, it's of course Android through and through. It's like one of the nicest Android skins out there next to the Pixel, I would say. But you do realize that nothing is still very much at the beginning of its journey. Like like it's very bare bones. There's still a lot of things that feel like they're missing. And... That's also a thing I'm ambivalent about because it's a good thing. Like I like having a bare bones device where I can just put the apps on that I want to use myself. But on the other hand, it's also missing some of the features you expect from phones these days and that other phones in this price range have. And I'm thinking about the pixel lineup, for example, there, like the pixel six, the pixel six will launch very soon. And from all that we suspect about it. It's going to be having all of the Pixel features, or most of the Pixel features we also expect from the Pixel 5a and from the Pixel 6. And the nothing phone is basically more of a more limited version of that right now. It uh, doesn't have a lot of the smarts that the Pixel lineup has. And so that makes me feel a little um, ambiguous about it.
0: (laughs) So I think back in the day, when OnePlus first launched the OnePlus One in 2014, we been through the process of seeing HTC and Samsung morph from a software perspective into these bloated experiences, right? And Samsung, especially at the time with TouchWiz, felt like the antithesis of what you would expect from a smooth Android experience. And I think that's why OnePlus and the OnePlus One was really welcomed with open arms from the community. But in 2022, we're in a very different place. And I from my perspective of what it seems like nothing was trying to go for that simple bare bone or basic aesthetic that the OnePlus One benefited from. But today basic is bare bones, right? Basic is you're leaving things out. You're not simplifying, you're just omitting. And I wonder if you can speak to that and whether this phone is you know, you gave it a 7.5 out of 10. That's a B plus. I mean that's a pretty good mark in my opinion. But there are so many things that just strike me as gimmicky or, I guess, half-baked about this product from a software perspective that I'd like you to speak to, like, who is this product really for? Because I think they think it's for the same person who bought a OnePlus One in 2014, but I don't think that customer exists anymore.
2: I'm also not sure if that's really what they think the phone is for. Because when we had a pre-briefing with nothing, they told me about the ear one about their earbuds their very first product that they released and i think with the nothing phone and like with the whole brand they don't necessarily want to only go for these enthusiasts anymore i think what they're trying to do is they are trying to move into that area where fashion design and technology meets like we can see that from the back of the nothing phone and from the design of the ear one because they are trying to position it as like a very special piece of hardware, a very special piece of design, if you can call it that. And so I think they're going to try to position it more as a fashion lifestyle thing, because apparently that already worked well for the year one. They told me that they sold over five hundred thousands, 500,000 of those, if I'm not mistaken. And they sold a lot of these in shops and in places where you would expect fashion items, mostly like, I don't think they specified which shop these were, but I wouldn't be surprised because it's a very special design and the same is true for the nothing phone.
0: Okay, so the phone is being sold in Europe where you live, right? This is a phone that's going to live alongside the Oppos and the Vivos and the Xiaomi's, phones that really don't get a lot of attention in the US. They don't actually get sold here. They're not compatible with US networks. How do you think this phone will do Compared to the much more mature distribution and marketing machines of those other brands, I mean, you do get the best of all worlds in Europe because you get Samsung, you get Apple, you get Pixel, but you also get those cheaper brands that bring a lot to the table on their own.
2: I think I explored this question in a recent editorial a bit, where compared to just launched Xiaomi 12 Lite with the Nothing Phone one, and The Nothing Phone 1 has been released into an incredibly crowded market. So as you say, there are like so many different phones, so many different brands that cater to that same 400 to 500 euro market, 400 to 500 pound market. And I'm really not sure how the Nothing Phone will do just yet. Because what I think the Nothing Phone has going for it the most is its design and as I explore in the review, the glyph interface, the LEDs on the back, they are getting old pretty quickly. Like they are not really a feature that I personally would use all the time. But maybe that doesn't really matter because what people want is something different. That isn't like one another boring 400 to 500 euro phone anymore, but something that looks different, feels different. So that could really very much work into nothing's favor, as well as its strategy to limit sales, to make it a more of a vanity product, to make it something that not many people have, so that if you have it, it's something special. So I think they're in a good position to break into that market and to maybe move up that ladder with subsequent products. And once they manage to position themselves as a great choice.
0: Right. I mean, let's talk about the Glyph interface, right? I mean, that's the obvious standout design feature. I think nothing wants it to have a practical impact too. Just how practical is it? I mean, maybe put yourself in the shoes of a Gen Z kid who wants some new fangled tech product and the Glyphs are the thing that gets them in the door. Like once you get the phone, like what can you actually do with it beyond what we see on the tin? Is there any long-term practical use for this? Has nothing said It will release an API to integrate it into, into apps. Like what's the actual implication of having this feature on it?
2: That's a very good question. When I first unboxed the phone, I was very excited about the back and the glyph interface because it's obviously something new that we haven't had before. At least not in this way. I remember the Yoda phone that had an E-ink display on the back, which is kind of a similar idea and maybe more useful because an e-ink display can actually show you letters and actionable information. Whereas the Glyph interface is basically just a laser light show that's supposed to wow you when you first get the device or when you look at the reviews and look at the videos. Like I think MKBHD has a really nice video on this, actually two videos. And the more I use it, the less practical I find it. And I think I explored that in the review too. So in the end, You either want to get notified by your phone or you don't want to get notified by your phone. So you focus on work, want to focus on going out with your friends and families, and you turn off notifications, or you do want to get notifications. And the Glyph interface lives in this weird in-between space where you like, you kind of want to see the phone light up, but you don't really know what notification it is because while you can assign individual callers to individual light shows and individual sounds there isn't an option in settings to assign different light shows to individual apps or individual chats.
0: Oh man, that is like, given the conversation API is like available just as a, you know, you can tap into that from the notification shade itself. That's a shame. Like I'm thinking back to my BlackBerry days where you could assign a unique vibration to literally every app. You knew what was a BBM, you knew it was a text message, you knew what was an incoming app notification, whatever apps were available on BlackBerry OS at the time. But it was a big deal and it was it was, I think this is a missed opportunity for sure.
3: It reminds me of when Samsung phones had notification LEDs and you could download like I don't think it was built in necessarily, but you could download apps from the Play Store that would let you assign like specific colors to apps or, yes. or, or mess and it's like that sounds more useful than what nothing is shipping on its new phone.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised. It's, white LEDs, I guess, are cheaper, but if you're going to put LEDs on the back of the phone and make it like a big attention-grabbing feature for a phone, they better be colors. So that way I can assign patterns and colors and whatnot to notifications because if it's just going to do the same thing for every single notification, it's no better than just having the screen turn on because if your phone is sitting upright, the screen will turn on when you get a notification anyway. So having a light indicator does literally less than nothing i mean unless it can if it, if it's just white can it get bright enough to actually serve as like a flashlight or a light source for when you're taking pictures
2: oh it does like that's one of the features that i think it's quite interesting for photography and videography because it can basically serve as a fill light it can basically serve, serve as a ring light replacement um, especially for videos Provided
1: you're not you know actually holding the phone in your hand i guess because otherwise your hand would block it
2: yeah you need to hold the phone in a specific way to make use of that properly. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But like there's really, I just checked settings once more because I just wanted to be extra sure while we talk about it. When I tap a notification and I go into the settings, I can change the sound. I can change all of the things I could change on other phones too, but there's no direct integration with the Glyph settings. So one thing that I still want to test is change the sounds for notifications and seeing if that changes the Glyph interface. But that feels like a workaround, like something like that should be right on the nose for a feature that you want to promote in your new phone.
1: Well, I mean, just wait a couple of weeks. I'm sure there'll be somebody who extracts what's needed for an API or figures out how to turn it on in whatever way they want. And then they'll just make a rooted app that's like, okay, you want to actually customize your thing? Here you go. But the fact that nothing has not built that in already is a disservice.
0: hmm and again, like this is a living product, we can hope that one that OnePlus that nothing will add functionality and improve the software experience over time. Let's just quickly talk though about the bona fides, right? The hardware, the performance, right? This is a mid-range device in a lot of ways. It's running a Snapdragon seven seven eight plus SOC. Seven seven
2: eight G plus.
0: G plus. My apologies. Uh, the G stands for. Game gaming. gaming? Sure. Good. Good. Um, <laughs> and I'm assuming that doesn't impact the day-to-day usability of it, but how are the cameras? Does it feel sluggish? How are the haptics, right? Like what are the fundamentals like using the device, especially when comparing it to, say, a similarly priced Samsung phone or maybe the, up. you know, we don't have the 6a yet, but what we know about the Pixel 6a.
2: Right, um, so let's start with the haptics. The more I use it, the more I actually dislike the boxy shape, especially as it looks on the Android side, because it makes it somewhat harder to hold on to for long scrolling sessions. I think it's a very subjective thing, as with like any of these. But I feel like a phone like the Pixel 6, that's basically the same size, is easier to hold on longer periods of time than this one. But I do have to give the nothing phone compared to other phones in this price range, that the build quality is phenomenal. It's like one of the really nicer pieces of hardware that I've used. Now, when we look at the performance, it's good. It's really good enough. Like the 778G, uh, 778G+, plus, is really fine for everyday usage. Like, it I does the job for, yeah, What's that.
1: I was going to say, <laughs> isn't the biggest comparison between, like, the nothing phone and the Pixel 6a just going to be availability? Because nothing, it's only going to be available in like select countries in Europe, right? It's not like a, anybody in the EU can buy it. Whereas the Pixel 6a is going to have a still a limited list of countries, but is going to have wider availability than the nothing phone, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true for sure.
1: Because like, this is an interesting phone, but if I had to pay to import this, there's no way in hell.
0: Yeah, and I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about US compatibility in a second, but let's just finish this on the cameras, Manuel. So that is obviously the most important part of any phone purchase for a lot of people. If you buy the nothing phone, I mean, you know, you think back to the essential phone and how groundbreaking that was in many ways back in 2017, but it was really the camera that just killed it for most people. The camera was garbage, it was slow, it was unreliable. What's the nothing
2: phone camera experience like? So all in all i would say the camera experience is okay i wouldn't say it's better than other phones in the price range i wouldn't say it's necessarily worse i'm going to be doing some more testing over the next week on the camera front because i'm going to be able to take some nice pictures of italy then but overall i can say that across the ultrawide camera and the standard camera the color temperature isn't so super consistent This will probably not be something you will notice when you just take pictures with one camera of one subject and then use the other camera for another subject. But like side to side, you see it instantly. And the nighttime performance isn't so great either. So you actually need to switch to the night mode manually. It doesn't kick in automatically. And even then, I wasn't really happy with the night mode pictures compared to what I would get like from the Pixel 6, Uh, but this will need some more testing uh, overall, I think it's fine. It's not great, not terrible.
0: It's fine. Okay. I think that's the overwhelming feeling I get from this is that is that it's it's fine. It seems like that's what you're concluding. It seems like that's what a lot of other people are concluding. It is certainly not as good as it was hyped, but then again, how could it have lived up to those just insane expectations? Will, obviously, we know that this phone is not even FCC certified. It's not going to work properly on any of the U.S. networks. Should people import this phone if they can? They might get a signal on LTE, on T-Mobile, or AT&T. But even then, like, is it worth it?
3: No, I mean, not with everything Manuel just said. I mean, why? It, you're probably going to have to pay a little bit more to import it anyway, like reseller prices, right? So you're already looking at spending even more than what it's priced at. We already said the Pixel 6 is, like, two weeks from launch.
1: Hey, Pixel 6a. Pixel 6 But a Pixel 6 would make more sense than this, considering your import <laughs> fees.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there is no shortage of good Android phones that work in the U.S. right now that are, you know, maybe not as exciting as buying something from an upstart company, right? Like, no one is like, have you heard about Samsung? But I, I don't know, like, if phones are appliances more than ever these days and you want and need something reliable that can that can reliably get a signal in the u.s i i don't see a reason to to import uh, a phone that is fine
1: well if you're going to import a phone it needs to be a freaking amazing phone it needs to be more than just okay and you're saying like yeah this phone is fine but fine isn't good enough in 2022 in the mid-range market like if you're going to make this thing cost as much as any other mid-range phone from any of these major brands it needs to be a more solid experience in this
0: yeah and given that the pixel 6a goes up for pre-order next thursday the 21st i can safely say we'll have more to talk about in our next episode so i'm gonna pause it there we're gonna move on to ara our roundtable continues thank you manuel i appreciate that And we're going to talk about a little bit of wearable stuff. So this week has been interesting for wearables. Samsung announced One UI Watch 4.5, which was not nearly as interesting as I was hoping, especially since it's based on a newer version of Wear OS. Meanwhile, Qualcomm continues to tease the next version of its Snapdragon Wear SoC, which should power the next generation of Wear OS watches that aren't made by Samsung or Google, meaning basically just Fossil and Mobvoi, but still a significant number. And we're still waiting for the Pixel Watch, which is going to come at some point later this year. So walk us through the last little bit of of wearables news.
1: Uh, Well, for When UI Watch 4.5, they gave us an official announcement of the features that are coming with it and then said nothing about availability other than this fall. And I feel like this week's announcement just doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering... Samsung Unpacked is in three weeks. Why would you announce this without any dates now? As opposed to just saving it for the event when people are already going to be looking at you and looking for new features on a watch. I don't understand doing it now or doing it this way other than the beta is basically stable. So this could reach Galaxy Watch 4 watches before the Watch 5 arrives. I'm kind of doubting it because I don't know why you give new features to your current product before you uh, launch your new one. And even then, the features for uh, for One UI Watch 4.5, apart from some upgrades to the watch face, which actually breaks like a ton of third-party watch faces, so that's going to be something for developers to keep an eye on. Apart from that, we have a new input picker, only if you're using the Samsung keyboard. If you're using Gboard, you just get their keyboard and that's it. And some bug fixes. So it's Well, I mean,
0: there's a a lot of accessibility additions, which is a really good thing. Yes, I
1: shouldn't be discounting those. Those are useful.
0: And the fact that you have more customization on the watch faces themselves, I think is also important. I mean, this is obviously going to launch when the new Galaxy Watch 5 series launches, right? So Samsung always does this. It teases the software update. It launches that software update with the new Watch and then the old watches will get that update shortly thereafter. I think that makes a ton of sense. We know a little bit about the Watch 5 series that it likely won't have the rotating bezel of previous Watch series. There's going to be a pro model and a non pro model as opposed to a classic and a non classic model. The Watch 5 Pro is going to be super thick and bulky as it always is. But all in all, like we're seeing the slow evolution of Wear OS 3. Here and we still have not seen what it's going to do on the Pixel Watch. We still don't know what it's going to feel like on watches that aren't made using Samsung hardware. That's been a long time coming. Will, maybe you can give some input here, but the fragmented approach to Wear OS 3's rollout, right? The fact that it seems like it's Samsung's show far more than it's Google's at times, and that Samsung is really owning the narrative here. i feel is a failure on google's part
3: yeah i i mean i assume like obviously i think i don't know if this was ever official but obviously it seems like some kind of exclusivity ex- whatever exclusive deal right uh was made between because i don't know why else you hold wear was three back from other watchmakers but yeah i don't know if it's just google is just like well samsung watches sell We did the math and 90% of Wear OS watches or 90% of Android friendly smart watches are Samsung watches anyway. So we'll make this deal and then, you know, Fossil can deal and they'll get it when they get it. But like, yeah, a year in, I don't feel like we're even learning about new Wear OS features from Google. It just feels like this will be Samsung's next experience because I believe one, Jesus, one UI watch 4.5 is based on Wear OS 3.5, right? Like, (laughs) yes, I I don't think they've even talked about what Wear OS 3.5 is. We haven't even seen Wear OS 3, really. Not not for what it is. No, exactly. We've seen One UI Watch 4. We have not seen Wear OS 3. So
1: there's a couple of reasons for all of that. But the first one is and the exclusivity thing I'm willing to bet is because Samsung was the partner for Wear OS for rebuilding the system. And if you're going to have a new merge system and it's going to have a lot, obviously have a lot of kinks and things to work out, isn't it easier for a major brand like Samsung who has a robust support system and ha- can- has proven that they can consistently get updates and bug fixes done? Isn't that the better partner for testing the brand new first disagree. generation of a system than Fossil or one of these others who updates can take six months?
3: No, I, I don't disagree, but is Wear OS a Samsung product now or a Google product now? Because I feel like I'm learning a lot about, yes. about it from Samsung. <laughs> I mean,
0: that's the answer they want you to take from this, is that <laughs> yeah. the, the answer is yes. It's both, and it's <laughs> neither. And that's what's so messy about this. And so when when something I mean, like...
1: It's also been a matter of we just don't have really the hardware yet on the non-Samsung side. Like, we're still waiting on the Wear 5100+. plus. 'Cause right now the even even the wear forty one hundred plus, it's okay, but it's not great for a wearable, especially for the wearable battery, compared to what Samsung has done with Exynos. Right. Like it's the one instance where Exynos beats Qualcomm handily right now.
0: True. But the tease for Wear OS three on that older hardware started the day the Galaxy Watch 4 series was announced. And any hardware Any devices that have been released with the Snapdragon Wear 4100 or 4100+, plus, I mean, at least most of them have been promised to get this update. My guess is that it's taking so long because Wear OS 3 performs like dog shit on it, and they're cleaning out the bugs to get it to a point where it's usable.
1: Well, the Wear OS that was talked about at Google I.O. this year was Wear OS 3.1, because Samsung had 3.0 and was basically working out all of the kinks with that and helping get it to a point where it would be usable for other brands google so i agree this exclusivity period has been way too freaking long and hardware is not helping with that because even once it's available for other brands for current watches it's going to take like six months to get it working on any Wear 2.0 watches because it's a completely different system
3: well i would bet it's going to be unusable on those watches the fact that first of all that they didn't want to talk about it last year there was two months after io of us being like hey are you gonna like update current watches and then when they finally came out and said yes the the comment was like yeah it's an entirely optional upgrade that might be a little it might not be the best experience like it's going to be bad I think we should just all acknowledge that like where was two watches are are not going to run where was three well
1: well let's face it by the time where 3.1 gets onto these other watches these watches will have been two to three years old outside of the ones that have released this year well, there's stuff that launched this year. CES had like three or four different watches, but all of those were 4100. Well, I mean, and there all was stuff were launching last year with Wear OS three in mind.
0: Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, so we are still kind of waiting. What I'm really interested in, though, is this Snapdragon Wear 5100 T's that Qualcomm is putting out there. The rumors are that this is now officially going to be built on an efficient manufacturing process, perhaps even a four nanometer process that it will have entirely custom silicon optimized for wearables. You know, it's not just a low power A53 set of, uh, set of A53 cores with a coprocessor that's doing a bunch of the low power stuff in the background, but really all of the cores are optimized for the function of making sure your watch lasts longer than a day, which really has been a bugbear of Wear OS users forever. I mean, to be fair, the Galaxy Watch 4 Classic that I wear is also a one-day watch, but it can be a a one-and-a-half-day watch if you're conservative with your use. And that's on a 5-nanometer chip, an Exynos chip. So it's not like a given that you're going to get way better battery life, but it's long overdue. Qualcomm has ignored this for years. At the very least, we're just going to get a competent competitor to whatever Google or Samsung is putting in its hardware. I'm sort of excited for the next generation of of Android wearables for the first time, right? Wear OS 3 is a good product on the Galaxy Watch 4. What we've seen of what it looks like on the Pixel Watch looks fantastic. I enjoy using Wear OS again for the first time in many generations and I think with the combination of decent hardware and the next generation of Wear OS 3 based watches from companies like Mobvoi, Fossil, I mean, I, 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 maybe I'm naive, but we're we're finally going to see the golden age of, of Android wearables. But I I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll fall flat on its face like it always does.
1: I mean, the only thing I want to see out of the Galaxy Watch 5 is a fast charger because Samsung has actually gotten worse about charging speed as things have gone on because when I had a Galaxy Watch Active 2, literally the only time I ever needed to take it off was whenever I took a shower. And in the 20 minutes of my shower and getting dressed again, my watch would go from like, 30, 40% all the way back to full. And when I take my watch off to go take a shower this time, my watch is going to have to stay off for an hour, hour and a half. God knows how long I'm gonna. it's going to be before I remember to, oh, I need to put my watch back on so that way I hear notifications because I tune off the world with these meds. So I'm, I need it to be faster because Samsung has used the exact same charger since the Galaxy Watch Active 2, which means it's USB-A and it's like a basic 5-volt, 1-amp charger. It's so weak. And every other brand is focused on improving charging because you may not be able to fit the biggest battery in there. But if you have fast charging, it doesn't matter so long as you can top off the watch in like 30 minutes or so. Yeah. And Samsung can't do that right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic, as I am for everything, because that's just my personality. But I also accept disappointment pretty well, so that's uh, that's another part of my personality. We hope for the best,
1: and we expect the worst. That's just how it has to be if you're a Wear OS fan. If you're
0: just an Android fan in general, basically, but yeah. Okay, let's move on. Um, Will, let's finish this off. So you have a grab bag of stuff. Yeah, let's
3: talk about disappointment.
0: Yeah, let's talk about disappointment. So there are a few things that we want to go through, but... Let's actually talk um, Android thirteen beta four quickly because sure, that's okay. That's just a, a piece of news. We we yeah. Let's just get that out of the way. So what's what's new with Android thirteen beta four?
3: It's a release candidate. That's the end of the list. I I don't have anything else for you. The build is only a week newer than Android thirteen beta three point three, which was the third bug fix that was rolled out after the June update. So you know they fixed a couple more bugs, but this really could be beta 3.4 and, and no one would be able to tell the difference. It's a release candidate, which is great because it means that we are weeks away from a full launch of this thing, which is the earliest. God, I just wrote this down to it's the earliest since <sighs> Android 9 Pi was the last time Google launched a new version of Android in August. And that's what we're headed for is like an early to mid-August launch. Wait, um, that's Oreo
1: wasn't an August launch? I could have sworn.
3: Yeah, Oreo was an August launch, but Pi was
0: after Oreo.
1: Ah. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah,
0: they, they, no, you're good.
3: Yeah, they
0: timed P Oreo was... after Oreo Pie comes after cookies. You know, it's it's the natural <laughs> order of things. Yes, <laughs> or, the or...
1: natural progression of sweets.
0: <laughs> to be fair, the Oreo launches is, is
3: I remember it better because they timed it with an eclipse. I don't know if anyone remembers. They put out that video of the the animated Oreo cookie like blocking the sun. Um, Back when
0: Android releases were fun.
3: Yeah, I have no idea why that has stuck in my head for five years, but it has. I'm so annoyed um, they
1: didn't release more of like the Android Oreos because I would have bought those and eaten them with so yeah. much glee.
2: Well, I, I remember KitKat and how they had these um, promotions where you could get like Play Store. Um, was it Play Store back then already? Yes, where you could get Play Store credits. Yeah, Play Store credits.
3: But yeah, you know, it's a minor-ish update this year. It's a lot of changes, but it's not stuff that people are going to notice immediately. It's not, you know, we had a big UI change last year. This year, it's a focus on security and privacy, and and kind of tweaking the stuff that they added last year, and that means that it's a little less exciting, but we get it sooner, and it's pretty ready to be a daily driver. It is what it is. If you haven't tried it yet, you can you can try it right now. I haven't noticed any bugs. Um, I haven't really seen anyone notice any bugs when I've been perusing Reddit. So yeah,
0: I think beta four is pretty good, right? If yeah. if you're gonna take the plunge now it's probably fine. And then once the final release comes out, you'll get updated to that. Just remember, I I think it's true today. Still, if you don't opt out of the beta program, though, you'll get opted into the Android 14 beta or develop. Is it the beta program next year?
1: I don't think it's the beta program next year. It's they get opted into the beta for the QPR.
0: Yes, you're right from the QPRs, which which are going to continue. So that's something that you want to keep in mind.
1: Like, I'm happy that there's nothing wrong in here because that means that we actually might get a release in early August the way it looks like we are. Yeah. Like, I wanted this to be like a bug-free, nothing changed. Just have my bug fixes and let's go. Because if last year, if Android 12 was the big up overhaul, this is, to quote the old iPhone update uses, this is the S update. Yeah, where we just took everything yeah. and we refined it.
0: And that's all I need. (laughs) That was, I mean, Ryan Whitwam wrote a really good piece earlier this year about how he wants the Pixel 7 just to be a Pixel 6S. And I think if we get a refined Pixel 6 series in the Pixel 7 and a refined Android 12 and Android 13, we're going to have a lot more happy Pixel users come the fall. So I think that's exactly what Google is doing here.
1: Yeah. And we've had one year of them having to do bug fixes for tensors. So God willing, nothing we won't have any other huge catastrophic bugs with that. It
0: can't get much worse. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, there's got to be some wood around here somewhere, but it could not be much worse than it was at the beginning of the Pixel 6. So, all right. Will, let's finish this off just talking about a doozy of a piece that Ryan wrote yesterday titled, Google would rather ruin its products than pay Sonos, and that's unacceptable. Give us the lowdown of, of, of what's actually going on here.
3: Yeah. So first of all, go read it. It's like a thousand words, but it's one of my favorite pieces we published this week for sure. It's a great roundup of everything that has been going on with Google and Sonos while also really finally just putting Google's feet to the fire on it. So go read it. So this kind of came out of the most recent addition to list of things you can't do because of the legal battle between Google and Sonos, which is that a bunch of pixel users specifically started noticing that they could not reset or set up a new Chromecast. I, I don't believe this is Chromecast with Google TV units. It's just dongles. So the classic third gen or older Chromecast, if you wanted the to. The ones that
1: came without a remote.
3: Yeah. If you wanted to connect it to a new Wi-Fi network, you have to reset it. And And so anyone doing that, They can't. What happened is you would get on your Pixel a thing that says, for example, Chromecast Ultra found. It needs to be activated before setup. This device has a few extra steps before you can start setup. Go to the Help Center to learn more. There are no extra steps. The extra step is that you can't do it on that Pixel. You need a different device, whether it's a Samsung phone, I saw in the comments someone was able to set up their Chromecast using an iPad, which is uh, a a competitor's product, uh, not a Google product. So this uh, all comes out of Google uh, disabling things uh, in their software that they had basically violated patents that Sonos owned. And instead of licensing them, they are deep in a lawsuit with them. So I I want to kind of quickly run down the list that Ryan made of other things, because this is far from the first. I'm just going to completely take it from Ryan. Uh, Casting volume controls were removed and then added back in a way that presumably circumvented Sonos patents. That was, I believe, in January. Volume controls for group speakers uh, have been lost both in hardware, uh, volume keys, and in software apps' assistant voice-based controls. Group speakers no longer work on devices running older cast firmware. Product installation and updates may require a device utility app for, quote, a small set of users. And Google Home app has lost the cast my audio button for speaker groups. Uh, and then of course, this latest one as well. So basically Ryan's point is that he talked to a lawyer saying that Google could theoretically be open to a class action lawsuit against Pixel owners and anyone else who you know bought a Google Home Mini or a Chromecast expecting to use it. And then because of Google's legal trouble can no longer use it effectively. But overall it is kind of just Google being petty towards Sonos and hoping to squeeze them by not licensing the patents that they own while also trying to, or I guess, while also not caring about the fact that like consumers are going to get hurt in this.
1: I mean, it's just being petty for the sake of pettiness at this point. We know Google has the money to pay for the licensing fees for this, and it should because the Google Home, Google Assistant Home ecosystem is worse than it was three years ago. And I did not think that was possible.
3: I would not blame, (laughs) I don't know where you would, I guess, Alexa, but I genuinely would not blame anyone if they saw this stuff and was like, well, I'm I'm not going to buy any more like Google, like smart home products. Cause like, if this is just one legal battle, like who knows if there's another legal battle coming in two or three years that will disable more products. Right. Like, like I'm just, that's purely hypothetical, but like, this is how you burn consumer trust. You sold a
1: bill of goods and then you took some of that away.
3: Yeah. So it's not like Sonos, uh, as, as Ryan points out, tried to negotiate a patent deal with Google as far back as 2016. There has been plenty of communication between the two companies. Google has, I believe, been found to have violated those patents. I, I think they're... Well, in- they're,
0: they've appealed, but at the same time, Google had to remove that functionality because it was found to have contravened the patents, right. and there was an import ban on these products until some of the functionality was changed. So right. they basically had no choice. They had to unwind some of that functionality in order to continue selling the products in the US. Or but, they could license. Well, that's the other thing, right? Is that <laughs> yeah. they could, that would be an admission of, of guilt, which Google doesn't want because they have countersued Sonos for patent infringement as well and want as much leverage as they can over Sonos in that upcoming legal battle. It's just messy. Admittedly, a David versus Goliath thing here Sonos is a tiny company compared to Google Google could spend 20 million dollars or whatever it would cost and license these patents which it did willfully violate like it's it's not even up for debate anymore that happened the reason your Chromecast and your other Google products is not working properly is because Google did violate those patents period a court found them guilty of this so not paying up is just stubborn it's willful stubbornness and it's really not acceptable anymore. Um, and it would be a drop in the bucket.
3: And it's actively hurting consumers. Exactly. Like I really want
0: to like double down on that. Google is not the
3: company. They're not hurt by like the only people truly hurt by this other than I guess Google's like reputation is is like you and I trying to set up a, a third gen Chromecast for our parents. Right. Like it's that's it. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well. I like when we end the podcast angry, because it makes us really, it just gives us fuel for the rest of the day. So we're going to leave it there. Will, thank you. Ara, thank you, as always. Manuel, it's been awesome having you on the show. We're going to have you back again very soon. Because you haven't been on yet, tell people where they can find you on the internet if they want to learn more about you.
2: Oh, sure. Um, Thank you for the outro, Daniel. So obviously, people can find me on Android Police, um, but I'm also active on Twitter. And you can find me under my handle at Manuel So nothing fancy there.
0: Excellent. You can find Will at Will underscore Saddleberg. You always look up, like, is he going to say it right? Is he going to say it right? I'm
3: waiting for that underscore. Underscore. <laughs> you can find
0: Ara at Ara Wagco. You can find me at JourneyDan. You can find all of us, as Manuel said, at Android Police. We love hearing your feedback, so send it to Android Police, podcast at androidpolice.com. And, yeah, we will be back next week with... Another very good episode about another very good product that we can't talk about yet. Until then, have a great week. Go listen to that supplementary episode about awesome. It is very good. In fact, it might actually be awesome. So we will leave you with that terrible pun. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye
1: bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.